Grafton, West Virginia is a unique town that showcases its railroad boomtown years and wealthy mining history through extraordinary architecture, landscape parks, and pop-up mansions. The small city center is surrounded by small farms and extremely dense forests. It's big city living in rural America. And the humble populace is quick to point out two claims to fame for their town. The invention of Mother's Day there in 1908, and well, the other claim to fame. The thing that prowls on the outskirts of town. The thing in the forest. The Grafton Monster. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 4, Episode 12, The Grafton Monster. It was late at night, around 11pm on June 16th, 1964, when Robert Cockrell, a reporter for the Grafton Sentinel newspaper, was heading home from the office. Driving along Riverside Drive, which parallels the Tigart River, he pressed his accelerator down, picking up speed to about 50 miles per hour. He knew the road well, and knew that there would be no traffic this late at night. He rounded a wide curve and began accelerating when he exited the corner on the long stretch of straight pavement that lay before him. Suddenly, he laid off the gas as his headlight beams hit something out of place. According to Robert Cockrell, it appeared to be a huge white obstruction on the right side of the road, standing between the road and the river bank on a cleared-off section of grass. Instinctively, he applied the brakes and noted that the out-of-place object was in fact a living beast, the likes of which, he says, he had never seen before. He claims the beast was stark white with slick, seal-like skin, or a covering at least, that appeared to resemble seal skin. More oddly, it appeared to have no head. His foot quickly went from brake pedal back to the accelerator, and he pressed it down to the floorboards. He raced home, parked his car, went inside, locked his door, and sat down on his sofa with a drink. His hands were trembling. Twenty minutes later, with his nerves back, he decided he should at least investigate. He called on two friends to join him, and together they returned to the straight stretch of road where Robert claims to have seen the beast. But after searching up and down the roadway, along the riverbank, and into the forest a short distance, they concluded that whatever was there was nowhere in sight. They found no tracks, but noted that where Robert had seen the beast, the grass was firmly mashed into the ground. As they were about to give up on the search and call it a night, they heard an odd, low, whistling sound coming from the direction of the river. The three noted that the whistling sound seemed to follow them no matter what direction they went to investigate. First it was by the river, then down by the road, then in the forest. They could not find the source, and with the evening turning into the morning hours, they decided it would probably be best to return in daylight and concluded their search. Robert Cockrell went to work the next day, but did not mention his sighting, nor his search there afterwards. He sat at his typewriter, and finally, after talking himself into it, he walked into his editor's office and told him about the encounter. The editor told Robert that they would publish a small piece about the incident, and perhaps the public would be intrigued or have a possible answer to this mystery. The June 18th edition of the Grafton Sentinel had a small article written by Robert about the sighting. 
The newspaper was quickly sold out that morning, and word of the beast spread through town, creating anxiety, hysteria, and bravado. Suddenly, the small town of Grafton turned into the base for one of the largest monster hunting expeditions ever. More than a hundred adults and teens, armed with flashlights, mallets, crowbars, pitchforks, baseball bats, shotguns, revolvers, and hunting rifles, started searching the riverbank and forested area where the monster was first sighted. More than 20 searchers said they saw it while out monster hunting. Robert Cockrell interviewed the witnesses in detail, and one teen suggested the creature was an escaped polar bear, but no one could determine where or what a polar bear was doing in Grafton, West Virginia. The next day, with the town in a frenzy, local police started their own investigation. With the hysteria of the Grafton monster now making news across West Virginia, county and state authorities also joined in on the hunt. Together, they made an extensive search of the area and found no evidence of a monster. Police had more potential issues arising, however, as more than a few hundred people now descended on the town with an extensive armament of firearms. The roads were bumper to bumper with monster hunters. It is by no coincidence, then, that the Grafton Sentinel printed off another article that day, dismissing the monster entirely. They said the monster was a wildly imaginative story, inspired by spring fever, and because of the area's lack of recreational facilities. Hmm. Authorities were relieved as the monster hunting wound down, and no one was accidentally shot or hurt in the process. Robert Cockrell, however, knew what he saw and quietly pursued his investigative reporting. He found reports, both earlier than his own and some afterwards, of a creature matching his description up and down the Tigart River as far as 180 miles away. He never reported these in print, however. As he collected more evidence, he contacted a native West Virginian named Gray Barker, who was also a writer and researcher into the UFO phenomenon. He was best known for his 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, which introduces the now-known phenomenon as the Men in Black. Gray Barker was also interested in strange creature sightings like the Flatwoods Monster that may have a direct correlation with his study of UFOs. Robert convinced Gray Barker that his sighting was not a practical joke, and what he had seen, indeed, was real. Soon after, Barker drove to Grafton and interviewed Robert as he wanted to write up the case for a popular UFO magazine. Gray wrote the article, but for some reason, it never made it to print. The letters, notes, photographs, and newspaper clippings were placed into record with the Gray Barker collection in West Virginia. In the notes... Robert goes into much more detail about the monster, explaining that it was between 7 and 9 feet tall, 4 feet wide, had a seal-like texture to its skin, and no visible head. He noted the monster did not move as he passed by. Gray indicated that the monster may be headless or that because of its bulk, its head was tucked close to its chest. He made notes indicated further investigation would be required. In 2014, a highly sensationalistic and ridiculous television show called Mountain Monsters featured the Grafton Monster. They showed very hazy images captured at a long distance of spooked cattle 
and what appears to be a tall creature-like form moving through the trees. The personalities on the show got excited to see the creature firsthand, but as it turns out, the camera never shows what they are actually looking at, and instead, and purposefully, simply shows the men's poorly acted reactions. In 2018, gaming company Bethesda developed the next game in the popular Fallout series, Fallout 76, which takes place in West Virginia. In the game, players can visit the Mothman Museum and encounter various creatures born of the post-nuclear era. And with West Virginia folklore melted into gameplay, the Grafton monster makes an appearance as well. The towering mutant is headless, has seal-like skin, and is a formable opponent best suited for the more hardened vault dweller. As Fallout 76 has placed a spotlight on West Virginia, stories once forgotten about the Grafton monster are now emerging. One eyewitness says, I have seen the creature called the Grafton monster several times when I was a younger man, and it is very real. My first encounter, I was with my father cutting wood. We had finished and were loading the truck when our two dogs started barking. We stood there and listened. Something was walking, getting closer. My dad told me to get the gun from the cab. He carried a double-barreled 10-gauge with double-O buckshot. Whatever it was had picked up its pace and continued towards us. All we knew for sure was it was big and wasn't scared of us, the dogs, or the chainsaws we were using. It stopped about 50 to 55 yards from us in the trees and went quiet. My dad pulled both hammers back and stood in front of me and told me to be ready. The next thing that happened, I'll never forget. It stepped out, looked at us, took three strides in our direction, turned and walked back into the tree line. That was my first sighting of the beast, and I'll never forget it. My second encounter was about two months later at night, fishing alone. I spotted him on the opposite bank, and being unarmed, I got the hell out of the area. Another witness recalls the monster. I saw the monster near the river early in the morning. It saw me and instantly froze. It did not move. I was fishing at the time and left all my gear there and started to run away. As I ran and turned, I saw that it too turned away and started running off. As I got near my truck and began opening the door, I heard a whooshing sound and a bright light appear above the tree line. I drove off and got my gear two days later. Robert Cockrell may have been onto something when he started corresponding with Gray Barker. It seems... Every time an eyewitness has seen the Grafton monster, other witnesses in the area reportedly have seen strange lights in the sky, or even saucer-shaped discs flying at incredible speeds. Grafton itself has been a hotbed for UFO activity. West Virginia is also no stranger to weird creature sightings, from Mothman to the Flatwoods Monster to the Apple Devils. But these stories will have to wait for a future episode.
Have you ever tried to find a cheap hotel room and you open up Expedia, then you open up Trivago, then Booking.com, and then Hotels.com, and so on and so on, trying to find the best deal from all the hotel discount and booking sites? What if I told you you could do one search in one window, either online or using your mobile device? What if I told you that you can take all these discount search sites, combine them into one easy-to-use app, saving time and money? It basically finds the cheapest price anywhere. There are no additional fees, including taxes, and the app is free to use. What you see on the screen is the exact amount you will pay. Now, this isn't a separate booking app. It is a comprehensive yet easy way to do hotel searches. Think of it as a cheap hotel search engine. It simply finds the best deal for you. Savings are incredible, sometimes up to 70% off. There are even options such as pay now, pay later, free cancellations, no credit cards required. With a database of over 270,000 hotels, 46,000 hostels, 500,000 bed and breakfasts, and 1.3 million apartments, you will be sure to find the best hotel at an incredible price. Now, do you want this app? Find the best hotel room at the best price. Just visit www.experiencethis360.com. At the top links, you will see a link called Best Travel Deals. Click that or use the drop-down menu to get to a specific area. Links will also be made available in the show notes. Again, that's www.experiencethis360.com. Now back to the podcast. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links, and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you, or someone you know, will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.